But, brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of every out of our intense longing we were made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way. As you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. This is the word of the Lord. We thank you that whatever we're going through this morning, as we gather together this morning, we come before your throne, the one who is sovereign, but the one who's also our Father who loves us. And we ask that now as we spend some time thinking on your word, that you would speak to each of us, speak to us collectively as a church family. Please teach us your truth, change our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please grab a seat? And just before we get into things, I wanted to say a couple of you, um, uh, I know it's already been said from the front, but thank you Jolene for the last week and um, for, to Margaret and the mission team for putting on a number of great events. We always want to be reminded that the most important thing we can be doing is uh, sharing and spreading the good news of Jesus and uh, it's great to be to have been able to hear what uh, the Lord's been doing through Jolene and others over in Jordan. Uh, I wanted to thank Andrew and Lee too for that excellent interview. Great to hear a little bit more, uh, Andrew. And, and some of what Andrew was sharing is picked up in the, um, the verses from 1 Thessalonians that we're looking at this morning. <clears throat> um, I wonder what you think about the Apostle Paul. You may have no thoughts on the Apostle Paul, but I wonder what, if you do, what they are. He wrote lots of the New Testament... And uh, his missionary journeys as he went around telling people about Jesus are perhaps the most significant evangelistic events in history. I'm not trying to put down Jolene's mission week here or the work that's going on, but I think I'm safe in saying Paul did an even bigger work back then. But Paul gets a bad rap in many circles. For lots of people, Paul is a stumbling block to the Christian faith. Many people, even within the church sometimes today, would uh, see Paul as anti-women or intolerant. Or, this is a big charge often levelled at him, that he's all head, no heart. He's big on doctrine, he's big on truth and correct teaching, uh, but he's light on love. Not very good in that kind of sphere. Uh, Some people go so far as to say that it was him who ruined the teaching of Jesus, because Paul made it all about rules and made it exclusive, whereas Jesus was all about love and inclusion. So for lots of people, Paul's awful. Uh, just people, I'm getting a few worried looks. I don't think this. <laughs> this is just what's said. This is nonsense, a, a lot of what's uh, said here. But um, there's a lot of people that think it. But there are other people who see Paul so positively, they almost make him non-human. 
They're so positive towards uh, his person and his ministry that he's almost put up on a a pedestal as a a super Christian, a super person who floats above the normal lives that we everyday human beings have. He led an exceptional life. People would think that if he was here this morning amongst us and uh, after morning tea walked over to the palms, within seconds there'd be conversions everywhere. And within minutes after that, those conversions would have been discipled to such a depth that there was a whole mall full of Timothys running around the place and that's how good he was. Well, if you think of Paul in any of those ways, I hope you're going to be challenged by the passage this morning. 1 Thessalonians is quite a personal letter of Paul. You you get to see a bit of the heartbeat of this man, this apostle, and we're going to see some of that this morning. Think about what it reveals about Paul because that will be helpful for us as Christians. As we see this about Paul, it's going to be helpful as we think about ourselves. Now, if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, you won't know that we're in a series on, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, a book in the New Testament. It's a letter written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica. That's why it's called Thessalonians. Uh, I kept getting questions yesterday, is it Thessalonica or Thessalonica? Both. You can say either one. And I, apparently I said both last time, so it must be right. So you can say either. And this is a church that Paul himself had begun. So when we read this letter, he's writing to a group of Christians, a church that he himself had started. He'd gone there and told people about Jesus. There were no Christians before he got there. And he told people who Jesus was and what he'd done. And many people there had come to trust Jesus, follow Jesus, love Jesus. But after three weeks of being there... There were a number of uh, Jews that were living, because remember, Thessalonica is not in Israel, it's not in Judea, it's in, in Greek lands. There are a number of Jews living there who were so incensed at this message about Jesus being the Christ and being God's king that they ran Paul and, and his co-workers out of town. In fact, we, we read of them having to escape at night. And we saw more than that, that not only were they against uh, Paul so that they ran him out of their town, when they heard that he was at another neighbouring town, a place called Berea, some 75 miles away, when they heard he was there ministering about Jesus, they went there to run him out of that town too. Now that's real commitment. When you've got no motor transport, 75 miles is a big deal. That's how incensed and against Paul's ministry they were. And so Paul's written this letter because he's worried about this group of new Christians that he had evangelized, that he'd started discipling, but he's been ripped from them. And he's worried about how they're going. Put yourself in the place of Paul as he writes this letter. Are they okay? Are they still trusting Jesus? Are they being persecuted or punished by the same people that ran us out of town? And all the way through this letter, you can feel Paul's concern and love for the Thessalonian church. And this is the passage where in chapter 3, verse 2, if we can have uh, chapter 3, verse 2 up, where we find out that Paul did something about it. He wasn't just worried and didn't do anything. He did something about it. Because in chapter 3, verse 2, he says that while he was in Athens spreading the good news about Jesus again, he sent Timothy, his most, most trusted co-worker, to go back to Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, to see how they were getting on. And in next week's passage, we'll see that Timothy had come back, so they'd sent Timothy to go and see how they're going. Timothy had come back, and he brings a good report about how they're going. But we'll see that next week. Uh, James will be back next week, and James will be doing it. But reading between the lines, it's clear that Timothy's also told them These enemies of Paul who'd run him out of town have been bad-mouthing him. 
They've been trying to discredit Paul. They've been trying to smear his name. Because if you smear his name, you smear the name of the one who he preached. If you discredit the messenger, you will discredit the message. You'll get, you'll, he'll be able, they'll be able to turn people against Jesus. And so in last week's passage, if you were here, Paul was defending the ministry he'd had when he was with them. You might remember some of the words that Paul uh, wrote to them. He wrote, Our visit was not a failure. The appeal we made to you didn't spring from error or impure motives. We weren't trying to trick you. We weren't trying to please men. We didn't use flattery. Greed wasn't our motivation. Now, do you see why he's writing that? Because obviously the enemies were saying, Paul came to trick you. He came to get out of you what he could, and now he's taken off. He, he, and so Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Well, this morning, he's defending more of himself and his ministry. Not you understand because he's trying to justify himself. We all do that, don't we? we something unfair is said about us and we want to stand up and go, hang on, no, that, I did not do that. I did not say that. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's worried that if, they dis, if he's discredited, Jesus will be discredited. If he, if he comes under this smear campaign, then somehow they may turn away from Jesus, the one that they need. He knows that if he is the messenger is corrupted, the message itself is in danger. And so today in this passage, we find him defending two aspects of himself and his ministry. He defends firstly his absence from them, and then secondly, he defends the trials that, he went through, that he's going through. And we're going to look at both. So firstly, Paul defends his absence from them. Now have a think about why he'd have to do this. Why would Paul have to defend his absence from them? Well, imagine the accusations that would be made with Paul not around. I know what I'd do if I was the people that had run Paul out and was wanting to discredit him. I'd go to see the people who've become Christians under his ministry and I'd say, well, where is Paul? If he cares about you so much, where is he? Why isn't he here? He hasn't even come back to see how you're getting on. He never cared. He's nicked off to protect his own skin when we ran him out, and he hasn't even bothered to get back into touch with you. That's the guy you're going to listen to? This is the guy that you're going to trust, the guy who's not even here? And so Paul defends his absence from them. Have a look at verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. See what Paul's saying here is explaining why he can't be with them. We didn't want to leave you. We were torn away from you. Powerful imagery there, isn't it? It's almost violent. But that's the truth of what it was. In fact, that word, is, well, it's a powerful word. But we long to see you, says Paul. The old saying goes, out of sight, out of mind. It's a saying that's very true to my life. But not true of Paul here. Paul says we were, we were away from you in person, but not in our thoughts. And you see the language, the intensity of the language that he uses here. Intense longing, he says. They made every effort. We wanted to come again and again. Paul says the Thessalonians are our hope, joy, crown. Verse 20, you are our glory and our joy. Do you see the strength of the words that he uses? And then twice in chapter 3, verse 1 and then in verse 5, he says, when we could stand it no longer. That's the level of his caring for them and missing them. Do you see the deep care that, and love that Paul has got for them? This is no robot. 
This is no missionary machine with no emotions or feelings. He's not just someone task-focused and all head, no heart. He loves them. And his words scream it out in this passage. And he's talking about the, the pain he's got because he had to leave them and say farewell. You know, we all know, don't we, that there are some farewells and absences which are just formalities. They don't really bring much strong feeling or uh, I'm off to the shops, dear, right? Uh, that kind of thing. But there are other farewells and absences which mean everything that you can't stop thinking about, that affect your heart and mind and life as you carry on. This is Paul here. Now, he says that one of the reasons he hasn't been back to see them yet is Satan stopped them. Now, it doesn't say how, and I'm not going into it this morning to speculate because we don't know how, but I would just notice he mentions Satan here, and at the end of the passage, the tempter. There's always two mistakes you can make with Satan. For some Christians, they see him everywhere, under every bed and behind every door and responsible for everything, and they almost live in fear. We're not supposed to live that way in the light of the devil because we follow the one that the devil is answerable to. It's not like it's a, it's a battle between good and evil and we don't know where the victory is going to come. No, God stands above. But there are some Christians who you'd think there is no devil. There is no spiritual power at work in the other way. We mustn't make that mistake either. Paul certainly didn't. Now, whether it was here... Uh, something spiritual that was going on, or whether the devil was using some of the normal parts of the world to stop it. Paul's sure, as an apostle, that it's Satan who's stopping him. You see it here. But do you see what I want us to focus on? Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. few things to reflect on here as he defends his absence. And one of them is just what he's done. The importance of writing encouragement. That's what Paul's done to a group of Christians that he cares about, he's written this letter of 1 Thessalonians. Now, he's done more than that. He acts as well. He sends Timothy and those sorts of things. But he also writes. When was the last time you wrote to someone? Not just flicking a text off or sending a kind of meaningless email, but when did you write to encourage a Christian brother or sister because you felt that they were going through a difficult time? or you wanted to build them up, or you wanted to encourage them in, in some way, or let them know that you were thinking of them or praying for them, especially when it comes to matters of the faith. When's the last person you had someone to let them know that you were um, thankful for what they've done? And a text or an email is a, you know, a good thing, but there is something special about a letter or a card in our world, isn't there? Receiving something from the mailbox, opening up the envelope, opening the card and uh, reading it. Uh, the Christian life is hard, and getting encouragement in that kind of way can be a wonderful blessing. I'm sure this letter of 1 Thessalonians was an incredible blessing and encouragement to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, you may have received some of those things yourself. Uh, today would be a good day to think about when's the last time you wrote one to someone to encourage them or strengthen them. Think about a Christian friend or a, a home group leader or a parent or a, someone who's done something behind the scenes which others don't, to encourage them in the Lord. It's a good thing to do. Uh, but it's more than just writing. Paul does something even more active than that. He sends Timothy. Remember, Paul's in Athens. It's not like he's bored. It's not like he didn't have other things on his mind or going on, but he's not caught up in himself. 
He's actively thinking of others, even when he's not with them. He prays for them, and then he sends his closest companion to check on them. Think of that. It's very likely in Athens at this particular time that there were hardly any Christians there. may have just been Paul and Timothy and maybe one or two others. Uh, And they would have been sharing the good news of Jesus because that's all Paul did. They would have been facing opposition. And Paul gives up Timothy, his closest companion and friend, and sends him back to others for their good. That's what Paul does. He cares that much. I think today we are so caught up in ourselves. So caught up in ourselves. We live in the age of the selfie. We live in the era of the social media update of my life, which everyone else must know because it's my life and you must know what I've just bought or just eaten or just done or where I've been. Our lives are even more centred around ourselves. Paul says, how are they going? Paul, in the middle of his circumstances, says, how are they travelling? I could take it no longer, he says twice. He's so concerned for them, I could take it no longer. If I used that phrase today, it would always be about me. I could take it no longer, so I ate it. I could take it no longer, so I bought it. Not for Paul. I could take it no longer, so I sent my closest companion to go and see how they're going. Are they okay? Are they still trusting the Lord and serving him? You see, for Paul, it's all about them. He says it here too when he says that his crown, his crown, this is kind of talking about the the wreath you'd get if you won the Olympic Games, that sort of thing. He says the crown that he will get and glory in the presence of the Lord with is not academic success, it's not sporting championships, it's not career highlights, but verses 19 and 20, it's them, it's the Thessalonians. In other words, it's the people that he shared Jesus with and the people that he's encouraged uh, them to keep following Jesus in. That's his glory. He says he will glory in the presence of the Lord in them. Christianity is never a race where it's all about me winning, me crossing the finishing line. It's about me taking as many people as I can across the finishing line with me. And that was Paul's attitude. That was his heartbeat. When people say Paul was all head, no heart, it's absolutely nonsense. Do you see his care for the Thessalonians here? But it should inspire, I guess, or challenge us with, well, who are we thinking of in that kind of way? Who are we praying for in that kind of way? Who are we willing to sacrifice our own good for, for their good and their walk? Or is it all about us? And once you're all about me, it's so hard to get out of that state of mind. Paul could have said, Athens is hard. I need Timothy. Paul could have said, they're all against me, I need support, and who knows what the Thessalonians are kind of going, no one else is evangelising in Athens, people people don't get how stressful it is for me in this situation, and no, and we always understand how difficult it is in our situation. We always know the, the, the pain and issues we're feeling. The real blessing is those who can see outside that and help others, and see the hurt in others, and that's Paul here. So Paul firstly defends his absence. Uh, Secondly, though, he defends the trials that he was facing. Uh, I wonder if you pick that up. Have a look at chapter 3. He defends the trials he faced. He writes, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. 
so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Now again, you may say, well, why is Paul defending himself against the trials that he's experiencing? Put yourself in the frame of mind. Again, if I was uh, in those days trying to turn the people against Paul to turn them against Jesus, I would be saying things like, look, if Paul's such a faithful minister of God, why is his life so painful and full of struggles? Doesn't seem, doesn't seem like someone who's being a faithful minister of God. That seems like someone that God may be punishing. That looks like it might be someone that God is not happy with because they're not doing what they should be. I would expect that if they were serving God faithfully, they'd have a great life and an easy life and a wonderful life. Wouldn't God be being kind and generous to them? But they're going through terrible trials God's allowed them to be run out of the city. He hasn't allowed them to come back. They've had even worse things happen to them now that they're out of the city. God loves them, really? Why would God allow these terrible things to happen to them if they were being faithful? Isn't it more likely they're being punished for being unfaithful? That God's teaching them a lesson for putting out this false teaching that Jesus is the Christ and the King? Do you see the power behind that kind of accusation? Well, that's why Paul defends it here, defends uh, himself and his ministry against it. Verse 2, we sent Timothy, who's our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we'd be persecuted and it turned out that way. Paul says, don't be put off by the fact that we're facing difficult times. Don't be put off by the fact that we're stuck suffering and struggling uh, and, and in the middle of these trials they're not the result of unfaithful behaviour or ungodliness or dishonesty, we told you it would happen and that's interesting isn't it for Paul, difficult times and struggling were part and parcel of living the Christian life of living in this fallen world and then taking up your cross to follow Jesus notice Paul warned the Thessalonians of this while he was with them In fact, verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you we'd be persecuted. He told them repeatedly. In other words, when he told them that who Jesus was and what following Jesus would be like, he told them up front it it would involve suffering. What he's saying is, I didn't hide it in the fine print at the bottom of the Christian contract that I got you to sign. I told, I kept telling you that this would be part of it. Isn't that interesting? As Paul shared the gospel with these people, he warned them that part of living the Christian life is to face difficult times, to suffer and to be persecuted. And as you think about that, you've got to think about, do we do that today when we present Jesus and the gospel to people? And I've been thinking through this challenge myself. My hunch is that often we don't. We're very good at playing up the positive aspects of Jesus and being a Christian, but we keep the rest a little bit more quiet. And we should play up the positive, right? You need to play up the positives. There's huge positives. Uh, we play it up because it's true and because it's great news. But there's more than that. Paul obviously gave a balanced presentation when he shared the good news of Jesus with people. He didn't let people think that being a Christian would make life perfect. In fact, he said the opposite. Being a Christian would bring with it times of struggle and suffering. 
That's a challenge there for us as we reflect on how we share the gospel with others and the expectations we give Christians. It's why the prosperity gospel is so awful. Because the prosperity gospel says that if you trust Jesus, you will have good health, good wealth, good relationships, good wisdom, everything physically in this life will be great. Well, Jesus didn't. Paul didn't. You need to speak out about this because I can't tell you how dangerous and wrong I think this teaching is because, and don't get me wrong, we should play out the benefits of what Jesus has done for us, of who he is. And But to talk up Christianity as if it's just aimed at giving you self-fulfillment now or giving you material, physical blessings just now is wrong and it's dangerous and it, and it means that people walk away from the Lord in the end. We follow a Jesus who was betrayed and beaten. We imitate Paul, who imitated Jesus, who was shipwrecked and imprisoned. Why would we think we'd be different? We are to suffer. We will suffer. You will go through it in your life. Some of you today, I know, are going through it now. And sometimes it will be precisely because you're following Jesus. The tragedy of the prosperity gospel is that when someone who believes that that is the truth of the Christian message, when they become sick when they lose a loved one, when their business goes bankrupt or the things that will happen in life that do happen, they either think that God has tricked them or left them or doesn't love them or doesn't punish them or they think there's something wrong with them, I haven't got enough faith or I haven't trusted enough. And so what happens? They end up walking away from the Lord. They no longer trust in Christ. But friends, Paul tells us here that as Christians we will face difficult times. And it's not because God's abandoned us or is punishing us or because we haven't got enough faith. In fact, none of those things are ever true for Christians. If you love the Lord Jesus, you're never punished by God. All the punishment was taken by Jesus. If you love the Lord Jesus, he never loves you less. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. None of those things are true for Christians. It's because we live in a fallen world and because we take up our cross to follow Jesus that we suffer. And these Thessalonians were prepared by Paul of this truth. We should be prepared by it and prepared for it and prepare others for it so that they aren't disillusioned when they go through difficult times. So do you see Paul here? He defends the trials that he was experiencing because he knows how that would have been used against Jesus. So, he's defended his absence from them, he's defended his trials. Uh, I need to wrap up, but just before I finish, have a think about putting those two things together for a moment. Because it makes the whole message, I think, even more wonderful and challenging. Paul has been going through these awful trials. We don't know the full extent of it, we know he was physically run out of town, we know he's been prevented from coming back, but we also know the other sufferings and things that he went through, sufferings that are so well known, the Thessalonians apparently know them, know of it, And how's he responding? He cares about the Thessalonians. He's in the midst of this awful period in his life. And what does he do? He cares about the Thessalonians. He writes a letter to them. He sends his best friend to them. He wants to make sure that they're going well in the Lord, even while he's going through what he... Paul is so good here. At the very time, if I was Paul, I'd be curled up in a ball and I'd be complaining to the world about my lot in life. 
at the very time where you know, I'd be telling everyone how hard I've got it and how no one actually knows how hard I've got it. And, uh, but what Paul's doing is he's thinking, praying, writing, sending, encouraging, strengthening the Thessalonians. It's a great... Don't ever fall for this nonsense that Paul didn't care. He absolutely cared because he cared that they carried on in Jesus. And I think the two things are even more linked than that because I actually think that him thinking of others helped himself. That's not why he did it, but it had a secondary benefit to it. Andrew spoke of this in the third of his four things, I think. See, when we focus on self and our circumstances, and Andrew spoke of this in, in the interview, I didn't know what he was going to say, but we, do, we, we can sink and spiral worse and worse. And we can get a, a victim mentality or a poor me attitude or a, everyone else has got a better than me way of thinking. But when, even in the midst of trials, you can keep your eyes on the Lord and on other people, not only is that the right thing to do and a blessing for them, and uh, it actually helps us as well. Because we were created for relationships. God made us for relationships, for relationship with him and for relationships with others, which is why relational pain is always the worst pain. You think of the pain of loneliness if you haven't got meaningful relationships, or you think of the, the, the pain of broken relationships, either, either through a breakdown or through death, or relational pain is always the worst because we've been created relationally. Selfishness is the absolute opposite of relational. It's just inward looking and self-focused. And when we're selfish, our brokenness is never more apparent. And we're never more, no, that's the wrong way to say it. We're, we're the worst we can be because we've been created for something else. And we don't operate as other people. When we're like that, I'm telling you, the danger is always we look inside. I'm telling you, look up, look out, stop selfies. There you go, that's a rule to live by, isn't it? Look up, look out, stop selfies. Write that down, that's six incredible words. No. <laughs> Paul did that. I'm sure someone will correct me after the service, but I can't think of one place in the Bible where it instructs us for self-help or self-love. It assumes self-love. I can't think of anywhere in the scriptures where it instructs us to love yourself more or to um, find yourself or to listen to your inner voice and follow your heart. What the Bible says all the way through is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as you already love yourself. It's always asking us to act in that way, the way that we've been created. Not only is it the right thing to do, it's what we've been created for. And Paul does it here. As he's going through this awful period of time, what he's thinking about and caring about is others. I've got to wrap up. Do you see how personal these verses are? How much we see of Paul? He's not a super apostle who floats above the lives the rest of us live. Here's someone who was frustrated. He was run out of town. He couldn't get back because he was being stalled by Satan. We see him desperately worrying for others and not kind of knowing where they are. We've seen that he suffers trials and persecution. Paul was like every single Christian, every single man and woman of God. But in the midst of that, he's a wonderful example to us. Because where was his focus? His focus was on God's work and his brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just feeling sorry for his own situation, but writing letters, sending trusted friends to help others, to make sure that they were still following Jesus, trusting Jesus, loving Jesus. 
Again, I think what it reminds us of is what we saw in chapter 1, if you were with us, where we saw that true faith works, true hope endures, and true love labours. That was what Paul was doing here for this church at Thessalonica. I pray that uh, we would be doing it as well. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, it's only a few words in this uh, small letter, but um, we get to see a little bit of what you'd done in Paul and were doing through Paul, and it's so challenging and encouraging for us. I pray that you'd help us think about these truths, that you would help us put them into effect in our lives. And I pray that in doing that, we may be a blessing to those around us who are really struggling and finding things difficult. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.